Good day. Welcome to your favorite place, the trendy place. And this is the trend podcast with Justin A. Williams. And I, along with my co-host, Tex Ritter, am here to bring you awesome content from all across the spectrum that is meant to inform, excite, and most of all, keep you trendy. If you like a podcast where the unexpected should be expected, then the trend is the podcast for you. We have a great show for you today. Thank you for joining us. We are better when we trend together. Just a normal disclaimer, the views expressed today do not reflect the views of New York Trend Media. Guests are free to speak their minds unfiltered and uncensored. We are here as a place of dialogue, no more and no less. All right. Tex, whoop, talk to whoop, me, man. Whoop. What's going on? How are uh, you? I, f- I, feel like, I feel like this year was supposed to be about renewal in some ways after 2020. And I don't know if we're getting that just yet. Um, what do you feel? I don't know. I, I feel I feel pretty renewed. I feel especially after quarantine, I pre- feel pretty re- refreshed until I went back so into the work environment. So, you, so you're you're already in a post quarantine world for yourself. Oh yeah, yeah. I've, I've been back since August last year. Okay. See, for me, work is still remote, so I, I'm still stuck in that kind of digital Tron universe. It's it's funny actually because you know that's majority of people. I'm literally right. outside shaking hands, not literally shaking hands, elbow bumps, talking to people, walk, walking inside people's houses. Um, right. It's, right. It's interesting. It's very interesting. But, you know, us at NBC, we take uh, very, very serious protocols, getting tested three times a week and all that other jazz. Oh, yes. I can always trust NBC, can I? Ah. Place of, home of the office. Home of the office. Yeah. You know, some nice band. <laughs> Some, some witty scripts. It's yeah. Great. But today we have a great guest for us today. She is a founder of FEM, a fusion movement experience and emotional institute, an online resource and educational center that offers courses, workshops, and interactive experiences that provide pathways to cultivate emotional well-being and gain insights that bring about a balanced mind and connection. Bernadette Pleasant has spent a lifetime exploring celebrations of the mind and body from sensual dance to somatic healing. As a woman of color who comes from an esteemed tradition of natural healers, she's recognized as a leader in the mind-body wellness realm. And also for more information on her, please visit theemotionalinstitute.com. All right, Bernadette, hi. Nice to see you today. Yes, nice to see you. Great to be here. You know, I love talking to... I love I love talking to people about wellness because one, my mother is a licensed therapist and a psychologist, but also in my own personal life's journey, I found that we, as we go from, as Cornell West would say, from womb to tomb, are constantly interacting with trauma. And to undo stress, undo trauma, we need to be proactive. Would you would you agree with that? We need to be proactive. Cornell West is absolutely right. And from womb to tomb. I think that is so great because some people think of it as starting from birth and it doesn't because that mom carried you with her stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and people of color have a lot of stuff and, you know, sadly, and to have to carry a baby while navigating this world, they are being, they are, they are receiving it in their DNA before it comes out. They come out. And then they learn to deal from the moment they get here. Yeah, it's not easy. It's constant. It's constant. 
it's, it's, it's constant. Lineage, it's constant and it's trauma. a big ass burden. Mm-hmm. It has to be. I mean, it has to be a burden just not only the, I guess, that we are learning now about DNA, that DNA can store memory. DNA can store memory just like a computer chip can. And your ancestors literally do live within you. The the Lion King kind of ethos that, you know, Mufasa is never far away. Hmm. Uh, our personal Mufasas and Sarais are never far away from us. And and sometimes that's that that could that could be traumatic, right? I mean, you 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 can carry on the the uh, some of the some of the negatives that that people experience as well the anger, the fear, the worry, as long as as well as the joy and the and the goodness and the strength. Um, but but what what particularly talking about racism now? I know you have a project that you're working on that you've been working on for a while now that is going to help us from our audience get this. Unlearn racism, which is so profound, because I think people don't don't realize that we all learn racism. We are not naturally adapted to be racist. If you take, there's been studies that show when you take children, you put them together of different races, they they may have conflicts, but none of them circulate around appearance. The fact that one person's from Africa or one person is from Europe or one person's from Asia. and, and, and that even for the side of that is that you might see as the oppressor, they learned it from someone, too. It's a heritage. It's a legacy. Would you agree with that? One hundred percent. The program that I created is called 400 Years Unlearning Racism Through the Body, Storytelling and Deep Listening. The reason why I mentioned the body in that is if you can imagine a, a mom pregnant with a child, going about her everyday life, and I'm, I'm going to just think of, of a white culture body, if they get tense when they are in the company of other, that is being learned in the body. There, there's a, a, a baby's sense and move about uh, within the womb with ease when there's comfort in in. But then there are situations that causes this this tightening, this tension. And so they are getting these reflexes and feeling this before they even see it. Mm. Maybe it comes up in conversation. Maybe it comes mm. up, but it, it just various scenarios that create this tightening. And I keep this, this tightening of the belly, tight, shortness of breath, uh, worry. All mm. of that lives in the body and gets passed on. And then the child starts to see this. I think about, you know, we're talking about white culture bodies, but I'm just going to use an example of being on an elevator and you're, you're holding your smile, small child. And maybe you just squeeze them a little tighter when you're uncomfortable. Mm. They are learning things without the verbal words. They are hearing something's not safe. Mom's not comfortable. And then they start to see these things. And so ideas start to get formed, which is why learning racism happens. And the same thing happens with uh, people of color. You know, I don't feel safe here. This is uncomfortable. Um, uh, I don't know. The police will follow me. And they notice like a difference in the body of mm. who's, who their caretaker is. And that is a way of learning. And that is why to unlearn racism, it is not just throwing facts at you and information. We all know the history. We can learn the history. We can Google that. But if we don't go about looking at how it impacts the body, 
and the unspoken word in addition to the spoken. We're not dealing with this holistically. And the change I'm talking about affects my grandson's skin. So I am here for it. And I'm about having conversations that are real, that are honest, and that are forward moving for the change I I insist on. Wow. Wow. That's, that's so impactful. And it's, that's, that's very powerful. I mean, it just, it's talking about how things live in our physical selves and people don't give credit to that. I think a lot of times in the Western world, we're so impacted by theories on the mind. We talk about Socrates and Aristotle. We talk about, um, particularly within the Christian doctrine, everything's about the soul, but we don't talk about the body enough that, I know from my own experience with anxiety, I have felt it. And James Baldwin talks a lot about this too, how he felt his blackness on his, on his face. He could feel that, that he could almost feel the, 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 the sorrow and from being so uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, what do you think, Tex? No, I mean, I agree. I mean, you know, put it, put it in a scenario. I always go back to this book. Um, I, and I think I've said it before on this podcast, Alphabet versus the Goddess, where, um, they talk about um, you know masculinity versus femininity, femininity, and how you know when it was a feminine world, it was nonverbal, so everything was just like body cues, you know the way you would point to something or you you would nod your head to agree or disagree, um, and then how when once word, the written word became involved, we got away we got away from that, which you know translates to this as just straying away from knowing our body and um, when it does something, when it brings up a, a certain feeling or, or a certain movement, what, what does that mean? Right. I think we brush that off way too easily. And, um, we try to put everything in words or make it some type of like scientific, um, and too deep discovery. And it's just, it's, it's a very, it's very plain in sight. You know, you can tell when somebody's uncomfortable, if you're looking at them, eye contact or, um, how they're holding their head. Um, yeah. And, you know, in racism, Race, we we're racist to each other, you know. Like if if I go outside on on the block, and I don't see I don't see any head movement, like you don't see the dudes like put their head up to show you like everything's cool, or you know, if they if, if it's stiff neck, you know you got a problem. So like body language mm. is very very important. Um, my mom used to say, my mom and my uncle say, if you see a white man outside your house with a pen and a pad, something's wrong. There's a problem. <laughs> and obviously it's a joke, but it stems from it stems from her growing up in the 70s in Queens yeah. where, you know, the neighborhood was starting to transition from, um, I guess, a middle class neighborhood that was diverse to a homogenous neighborhood that was filled with drug addiction. Mm-hmm. And that white government officials would come and survey your house. They would just step right on your lawn and they would take notes or do anything, study for uh, Lyndon B. Johnson's urban renewal programs. And, um, you know, it was a lack of trust that she had for that white man outside the house because of his skin color that caused her own trauma. You know, know, some good points are really being brought up here. And I love this whole conversation about body language. You know, uh, Tex was just talking about that nod of approval, just nod that just everything is cool, you know? So Mm -hmm. yes, but for all means by all means within and what also comes to mind is for me is uh and something that we do in um 400 which is literally just kind of letting folks in on body cues 
I could have a conversation with a person of color from across the room, not opening my mouth. Y'all know right. how we do. Right. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we survey some things, check it out. Mm, I don't know. Not feeling this. Got to get out of here. It's, it's a look. We know how to do it. But it was a we learned it because it was survival. Right. It, can you I mean, it wasn't like, you know, slaves were having open conversation like it's not safe here. We need to get out of here. It was or so and so needs to be hidden or whatever. That was not verbal. Mm-hmm. It couldn't be. It meant survival. But those same things get passed on because it still continued to be a sense of not feeling safe or 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 maybe it's just the way we knew to do whatever it is. There's no judgment about it. It's just that it exists. The, what I think for moving forward and trying to see some serious change is and something I'm really uh, it's, it's an act of courage to say, you know, what? I want to explain this look that I'm about to give somebody else because I need you to know how I feel. I can't continue to do that look and expect change because you don't know what's going on in my head. Right. And what you, what you think is we can all pull ourselves up by the bootstraps like we all got the same boots. So how about I explain to you why I don't so that we can do something about this? Because I'm feeling very uncomfortable and I want you to feel uncomfortable too so that mm-hmm. we can make some change. <laughs> so is the conversation, is the starting point for how we unlearn racism getting uncomfortable because I find that, you know, I'm, I'm someone who takes in all media. So I watch MSNBC, I watch mm-hmm. CNN, I watch Fox News sometimes. Sure. And what I see particularly on the right with conservatives is anytime they feel uncomfortable, anything that makes them remotely uncomfortable, this means that this is some kind of woke creature that shouldn't be woken up, right? That anytime there's any impetus to do any work, right? That says, you know, we're not just gonna be able to sing Kumbaya and hold yeah. hands, cry, and then be our same selves if we wanna change racism. All of us are going to have to, all of us that are racist, all of us that are, I'm not saying conservatives are racist, what I'm saying is all of us that do harbor racist agendas. Uh, and thoughts in ourselves, even if we think they're just humorous or not too harmful, we are the ones that have to do the work and put in the effort to change. Yeah. And sometimes that's going to make you uncomfortable. That's going to be uneasy. Yeah. What do you say to the person who says, I, I just I just don't know if I want to put in that kind of work? Yeah. Um, well, why well, would you? <laughs> well, privilege works for you. Why would you want to change it? It's a, it's it's like a survival. If this is how, if this is what makes me survive and my children survive, why would I want to change that? Great well, question. Then, well, then how do we? Well, then how do we make it worth it to the person? How do we make it worth it to the person? So what I noticed, and I know you saw it too, it became real trendy to be an ally, to call yourself an ally. People wanted to mm-hmm. get on the ally bandwagon. Um, folks came to me like, "I'm your ally." No, you're not. You need to learn me first. You Mm -hmm. don't go being my ally if we haven't had a conversation. And if Mm -hmm. you don't know my story, you cannot help. This reminds me of many years ago when some friends and I got together and we were going to do something for the homeless. And we, I mean, our hearts were in the right place and we thought we knew what they needed. And and this was all from our privileged perspective of having a house, a roof over our heads and food in the cabinet. So we're thinking of what was needed. And uh, one of the one of the groups said, 
you know, how about we have a conversation with them? And, and I remember thinking, oh, <laughs> I mean, you know, but that made perfect sense. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm a teenager and thinking I knew something. And then we started talking to these um, people and literally found out that what we had in mind to do would not have been helpful at all. It would have actually created some problems, but we didn't know that. So we had to understand, get to know, study who we wanted to help to have some positive impact on them um, and, to, and to be of service. So, and yes, that meant going places that didn't feel particularly comfortable. And, and but if, if you, you know, there is some, you have to do something different and so for those who say they want to do something, they're doing something, cannot be putting out a uh, Black Lives Matter thing on the lawn. That's not mm-hmm. it. That thank okay. you and what okay. else? And thank you and what else? And let's talk about it. Now, one of the things I think is very important to do, in my opinion, I'm not here to shame people. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to beat them over the heads because... I know you can't learn anything and do anything when someone is constantly wronging you and talking about all the wrong. Mm. It has to be with a bridge to the future um, and what is needed for change. So I think what the nuance that is important to me um, and what's interesting is we did this um, and it was open for public to come and take the training. And what has happened since then is more corporations are interested in having this for their leadership. And what I love about it is it's, I'm not here to check your box. I'm not mm-hmm. here to make, it, some of this is going to be difficult, but the, the purpose of it is to consider the, what's happening in the body. Folks start, you can't learn when you're all tight and tense and sitting there trying to check a box that does not make for change. And that's why this program is so important to me that it is offered in a way that takes care of people. And what we do is we keep inviting them to come back to the table. What people of color have done for years is we have, we've sat together and ate. This was very important. So the, the visual that I have and the invitation for people at every session as we're going to set the table, you are welcome. All of you, all of you, literally, your your skin, your hair, your, your thoughts and ideas, just keep coming. I know this is a difficult meal, but we're going to we're going to chew on it slowly. We're going to keep making this a warm atmosphere as we digest this very challenging topic. But we gotta do this. I think it even goes past like, you know, just challenging topics itself, um, not 100% agreeing with them, it can automatically turn to, oh, you're my enemy. Um, and it, it can be as simple as something as pepperoni pizza versus plain pizza. You know, I, I think that um, it's, it's, it's confronting ourselves to be so, because I need these people to look at me so I can then um, see myself in that light. Yeah, I think I think I, I, I yeah I, I I've definitely seen that with um, the dynamic between uh, my mother and my sister. My mother grew up as I said she grew up in Queens um, during the seventies, um, 
and 80s. And my sister has known nothing but suburban Long Island her whole life. And she went to private school and she went to a great private college. And when you hear them argue, it's 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 like my mother's neuroses are coming out. All the neuroses from growing up in the hood uh, are, are, are imbued upon my sister as expectations. Right. Like you need to wear this and look out for this and be vigilant for this. Don't speak that way. Don't say that word. Right. Don't talk to that person. Don't don't think that way. And my sister's like, why can't I just be free? Right. Why can't I just be my artistic self and 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 do whatever I want to do as if I none of that matters. And it's not that either one of them are wrong. It's just that they're both bringing their different contexts to the table. So I'm sure you have you have much experience working with people of different contexts, right? Like yeah. people who come from different places and are are you have to unpack a lot. I can kind of compare you to um I forget his name, but there is um this this gentleman who goes around the country um and he helps KKK members unlearn their racism. Mm. And he's put himself in a lot of danger. He's put himself at rallies. He's put himself in private meetings with these people while they've had bodyguards, and he's been successful. He is. Uh, he is. I think the count was he has helped um, over a hundred former KKK members unlearn their racism and and change their lives and their family members, because what he said was, "I'm a human," and they have learned all these stereotypes about me because I'm black. But if I can teach them that none of those things are true. What do they have to fall back on now? Yeah. They, they have nothing to as a foundation. And that'll make them question everything. Yeah. Yeah. People from different, sometimes it's age and proximity, uh, education, all kinds of things. Uh, we have a different lens to look at things through. Just have a different lens. Uh, things that you heard growing up. Um, and and then, of course, as a result of that, you uh uh, biases that you have. And I, I, it's, it's very interesting to just always hear people out and instead of, um, and, and bring it back to the storytelling and, and, and I don't mean story, just tell you a story. I I'm talking about the intimacy of storytelling so that you understand my experience. Mm. Um, the one of the things we do in 400s, we um, the majority of the people who take the class, not not in totality, but certainly the majority of people who, who come to it are, are white people. And many of them who say they want to be allies. Have you ever had a conversation with a black man? So what we do is have a panel of black men come in and literally like you need to hear voices as opposed to just seeing their bodies. Mm-hmm. Um if your if your understanding and knowing of these people is what you see on TV, uh, it, it is skewed, mm. and you need to hear some people have some dialogue and com- conversation. Mm. You you can't help people you don't get to know, and that you may have some. Um, uh, you're not informed, but right. but understanding someone's perspective is really, I think, key and interesting, important. We don't even know who that who that person is, if they're even an ally or they're just coming out saying these things. And then you can't ask questions. Yes. You can't ask them to reiterate or how come or anything like that. You know, so it's just you're just getting their their thought and you really don't have any context of their thought. 
if I was always uptight, just getting into the conversation, it automatically was um, uh, in a in a non comfort zone. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to, to articulate myself um, in a, in a manner that they can understand. It would just be a bunch of feelings going back and forth. Indeed. And, and the feelings are heightened because there's a lot of fear that I want to get it right. Or I don't want to, you know, get, get, you know, my head torn off the, about this. And they go to these whole, you know, huge extremes of what's possible that, that all lives matter thing, you know, that example that was, I think it was just such a perfect example. If we're living in a, you know, if my house is on fire, literally on fire and that that what that means is the fire truck needs to stop at your house and this house and and check in on all of these houses before they get to my house on fire. That my mm. our lives, our houses are, are there. There is a fire, and so that house, the blaze needs to be tended to so that we can go someplace else from that and get to the all lives. But right, how about we put out the fire right now? It's yeah, been I think, a, place I think, for a long I th- time. Yeah, I think um, you know, white lives mattering is a given. They've always I mean, mattered. It, it, it's it's always mattered. Um, black lives mattering, you could say, is on the American stage is a new phenomenon. Yeah. Um, and you could say that in many situations, it doesn't matter still, and that's the problem. Uh, but I have a question for you. Um, so. I've confronted a lot of whites that white people that 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 are that consider themselves to be liberal. So I guess within that they would say, "Oh, I'm automatically an ally. You you have me. I'm on the left, right?" And I've I a lot of them have said to me in my life things similar to what Joe Biden said when he said, "If you don't vote for me, you're not black." And it's kind of, again, what what James Baldwin was talking about when he said they don't allow space in their purview for a diversity of thought within what they perceive to be a monolith. And I think some of to give some conservative African-Americans some credit, I think they are right when they say that on the left or or, or not even on the left, but in, in many scenarios from the ally class. They get very shocked when maybe you have uh, a different opinion on certain 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 things than they were expecting. Yes. Have you found that? Have you found that in your re-education program that people have said, "Oh my gosh, I didn't think that you would think like that," or "I didn't think that this would be true." Yeah, I get some of that, and I, you know, or if people want to hear my views on you know the the most recent tragedy of. You know, and how I how I how I see it, and I think um, I what I get is there should be no assumptions, but more conversations, so that I I don't there's not an assumption of my point of view, mm-hmm. uh, so, or and I don't want to assume their point of view, and I think that we get there by certainly not being curious, but putting people in boxes. Um, we all do it. We all do it to some extent. And there are, you know, there, I, I remember, um, yeah, there are some 
comments that get made. I'm trying to think of a, a I'd love to give a specific example, but just a, you know, an assumption that my, my pro, uh, I don't know if I, uh, pro blackness, pro, I, what I am is pro unlearning and uh, racism, but what that, I, that doesn't make me anti-white at all. Mm. I, 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 that's not my, what I feel is the need is for an understanding. I don't want to be assumed a threat. I don't want black men's bodies to just be assumed a threat. And that is not to say that there aren't people who are threatening. So, I mean, I am, I am very real about that. And sometimes, um, and maybe threatening, you know, they, they've got some challenges that they need to have addressed. And I, I don't think that they're ever addressed in a healthy way. Um, I think they get housed. I think they get not rehabilitated. And so I have conversation thoughts around that. I'm, I'm not sure if that's what you're referencing, but my point is I'd much rather have a conversation so you get to hear my point of view. And it's not a, it's not a broad sweeping point of view. I think sometimes just like anybody else, you know, I look at an individual thing and just kind of, uh, think into it, feel into it, and see True. what it is. It's not a every everything. Some it's not a from a place of victimhood. Every time something happens, it's this. Yeah, I, mm. I don't, I don't buy that. Right. Yeah. You know, defund the police. Hell, they, who am I going to call when there's a problem? <laughs> I yeah. mean, you know, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't subscribe to that. Yeah. Um, and yet, I do think that there is a lot of work that's needed there. Of course, but a lot of that work might need even more funding. I mean, if you want them to have more training, right? Because they only get about two weeks of gun training, two weeks within their whole career. And then they just have to do recertification, which is kind of a joke. I mean, it's just like a PowerPoint. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, two weeks of gun training with a lifetime of right. biases. That of bias. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I, I think what they need to do is they need to hire people like you. They need to hire people like you who can help them just not be so trigger happy and not be so anxious. You know, not every situation um, is a life or death scenario. Yeah. I understand that potentially in the abstract, like every such a scenario could go bad. Sure. But, you know, if you see two people in an argument, that does not mean that one of them is going to potentially kill you. Yeah. Or, or wants to. It, it simply means that this needs you to show some wellness training. Exactly. Maybe perhaps it's a conversation. Where's the pain here? What can be looked at? Now they're not therapists. I get that. Right. No. Of and not. I also, but I also think that there are other ways of restraining, um, mm. if need be. Uh, there's, 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 there are things one can do now. That said, I am always hands like deep bows to anyone who does a job that I don't want. Mm -hmm. um, you know, firemen can have that. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to get my ass out the house. You know, yeah. I'm not trying to run into it. Yeah. Or, you know, there are scenarios I don't want to be in. And there are some that I just see. I look at this and I think there, there's, a, there's another way of handling this. I know there is. Right. And it does take more time. It takes someone, uh, and and that's not to say sometimes then things end tragically. And it 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 and I, I mean for a policeman walking into something, but they only they don't get called when things are cool. 
Right. You know, so any then, you know, they're not invited, you know, to, you know, the, the, you know, just kind of hanging out around the water cooler. They're coming in because there is a problem. So, um, and. And you don't want, and, and in my opinion, in my opinion, you don't want a community policing scenario. And I'll say this and I'll say my opinion why is because my grandfather our, our, our grandfathers, we're cousins actually, okay. Tex and I. Oh. So our grandfathers grew up in rural Alabama in a place called Bladen Springs. My grandfather just told me that he hadn't seen a cop until he moved to New York when he was 16. Now, there might be some stereotypes that say, you know, not stereotypes, but there, there, are, there are people, there are, there's a history of cops being particularly aggressive and 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 downright evil oh, yeah. in the black community. Sure. But but you know what's even worse is when racist whites take it upon themselves to police their own community. Oh sure. As yes. well. Yes. Because then there's there's absolutely no restraint and there's no predictability. And there's a history of that as well. We could call it the KKK or sure. whatever you want and, and other groups. So my my worry about community policing is that sure, maybe in your community that might be diverse or it might be homogenous, but everybody cares about each other yeah. in a small sphere. Maybe that works kind of, but what do you do when there's another community that's besides you that wants to make war on your community? Well, sure. Right. Who, right. Who do you call? Who do you call to defend yourself? Who do you call to enforce the law? And that's going to take a lot more trust than mm. a lot of people have, but I'd rather go with that than allowing any old community, the, the parlance, to exact their own form of justice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think about, you know, uh, the, you know, the Trayvon Martins, uh, uh, the, uh, right. Ahmaud Aubrey or I, or, um, uh, you know, just someone deciding what works for their community or not right. and, and right. what they can do. Um, and I, I grew up where in, Good Lord. Um, I'm 56 years old. So I think about like in Newark, New Jersey and Orange, New Jersey, when I was a kid, there were, there were cops just walking, walking through. I, I lived in, I lived in Jersey Did for about 10 that? years. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. It was, um, yeah. it was incredible. All I mean, time, I don't yeah. see that now. I haven't seen that in a long time, but, but I can remember you just reminded me of Folks walking around, they, you know, they, they were not carrying guns, they, but they were walk, they were doing literally the beat. And, um, and I just, I, I just, that that would look interesting to me right now because it's been so long, that kind of thing. It's just, Mm -hmm. uh, it's a difference, but, um, I, I think I, I could see how one way of thinking and certainly no understanding of people who you consider you don't want in your neighborhood walking around that, that would not, that, that doesn't work. That just doesn't work. I would agree with you. Yeah. I can see how that does not work. So much doesn't work. Neighborhood. And you knew like these two, these two kids are troublemakers. Everybody else got along perfectly and fine. Right. And because we had things to do once all those things they started taking those things away. No more after school programs. Yeah. Uh, no more uh, 
breakfast libraries 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 right we're not going nobody's going to the library anymore now we're like all right well i guess we're just gonna stand outside and see what what happens and that's Mm -hmm. the devil's playground you know that's that's interesting you think about the things that were taken away i remember one of my first jobs um first time i had it, it was a summer job and it was at the park and i used to they used to have these free lunches for people who belong came to the park thing and i used to hand these out and i was a like a like a camp it wasn't a camp, but you know, people came to the park for activities, and this is what they did when school was out, and we did it for years, and those things don't exist anymore. And uh, I, I just think about uh, there was that um, like a mentorship program where you had a big brother and and things like that. None of those things exist anymore. Parents are taxed if. To, if they're around, they're they're bombarded with work and needing all the things they need to do for survival. Kids left on their own. I think a lot of times spending a lot of very violent video games um, and and I th- music I, videos so much, so much, yeah. And I think that I think it's it's not one thing, but it's a just just so many different things that just lead to and add to, um, you know, inner city woes and, and, and not feeling valued in their own bodies and therefore yeah. not being able to value another. And that's not, I'm, only, I'm swinging back. Oh, that's not Go only, text. that's not only like black people who don't no. value themselves. Right. This is white people too. That's why Trump won because he started talking to poor white people. What you Nobody, are so right there was, on that. There wasn't any president that was talking. To, so as soon no. as he came around and he started talking about the four white people, it was like, oh, we we got this wow. one. Yes. Yeah, but that's all about self esteem. He gave them a, a level of self esteem that nobody was imparting upon them, and and he did it in such a, a fashion that a rich man who lives in a penthouse <laughs> tower in New York City was able to do this. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? There have been other politicians who literally came from poor backgrounds who were unable to capture and captivate the poor white male the way that Donald Trump was able yeah, to. Yeah, he did. And I don't want to just say the poor white male. It's the working class white male. It's the unemployed white male. It's the uneducated, right? No college degree yeah. white male. He was able to do that in a way that it's it's as if he could beam into their minds and say, I know exactly how you speak. I know exactly what you want to hear. And I know what you hate. Yeah. That's what he tapped into. He yeah. said, the number one thing is that you have hate in your heart. Yeah. A lot of people have hate in their hearts. Sure. And he said, you have hate in your heart. And I want you to let it out. That's he. What he did was he said, the hate in your heart does not have to be hidden. There is no shame. Right, right. Come on out. There's no shame. There's yeah. no shame. You, no. you don't have to reform. You don't have to unlearn. You don't have to do any work. Sit back, relax, buy my hat. And watch me there go to work for you. There it is. I, I'll never forget that standing on the truck. I just thought, wow. It, it, I mean, everything matters. You know, when he got up on that, the, on that truck and was talking, and, and it, it, the manner in which he spoke to others and the, the things that people would would never want to say, you know, degrading another, just, just right. going on the attack. He literally did the things that, that, you know, the bubble above folks head, people who he spoke to, he burst that thing and said, yeah, let's just do this. Let's just say that thing. And mm-hmm. they were like, 
he is my people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And the funny thing is, right, if he was an artist or a basketball player or anything like that, whenever you whenever you get those people who who kind of like reinvent or just just do it a little differently, yeah. they're always accepted like um yeah. by the masses too. Like, oh, he's a new crossover. Nobody's dribbled the ball like that. Or nobody's uh wrapped in parables like that. So as you said, just uh uh yeah. Unlearning, unlearning racism, right? You, you just have to see these things for what they are, and and what it is that is is actually trying to do. And this is something we talked about on the first one of the first um, episodes we did in this podcast. Mm. But like during that time, it was almost like the Bacon's Rebellion all over again, and they was able to just turn each other against each other once again, and um, just just put it put it yeah. on the on the big screen for everybody to see, and manipulation propaganda um with media and i you know it's hey that's whatever plan that they're going with with that that's the same Uh, thing with all these that i believe with these uh police killings that they're showing every day right it's just desensitizing yeah um it's it's almost like a trailer every day right new police killing ohio new police killing florida that's right it's almost like a new new tv the new episode of your tv show i i I get so confused because i'll i'll be watching tv or I'll I'll do some reading by myself, and I read one author who says it's statistically rare for a black person to be killed or injured by a, a white cop. Mm-hmm. But then, not only do you turn on the media and you see consistently there are these cases, but you also have statistics that also show that because of the so much interaction between white cops and black people that blacks are in greater danger of getting uh, some kind of violent treatment from a police officer. And I'm left there saying to myself, look, I obviously don't want to jump the gun, but whose side am I supposed to be on? What, it, it, you're, it, if these statistics are saying two different things, then something is, is wrong with the stat makers. I, I totally agree. So one of my thoughts with regards to, uh, and I'll, I'll just use this one as, as an example. Uh, um, Dante, young man, mm-hmm. I I just had to keep going back to this twenty year old. Uh, the body, that stopped? body language, can't even control it sometimes. Right. The, 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 the air freshener. Right. Yeah. I, so my point is, what was the point of stopping him? If by yeah. and large, you, you know, there are, you, you know, there's a propensity to shoot and kill black mm-hmm. men. Um, uh, or just more events that end in death with them. I'm looking at what caused, what is, what was the root cause of, of the um, event? What, what caused this thing? So if, if would that, would, if he were not a black male, would that have been a reason to pull him over? There, I think there are more incidents of of um, use of force in such a strong way because there are more incidents in general. But yeah. are the incidents uh, ones that, if they were white, would the incident be even be happening? Right. Would would was there something illegal happening that warranted the stop in the first place? Right. When my right. brother 
used to drive my car and get stopped because he was driving a Mercedes. Is there a higher possibility that something could go wrong Mm -hmm. because you are stopping because you don't, it it wasn't a license. If he's not driving fast or, or, you know, doing something unsafe, what what was the reason of pulling him over in the first place? And now then something can lead to a situation. But I just wonder about these unnecessary events. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 amazing to um, maybe amazing is the wrong word. It's it's very, very. It's it's very profound, the the notion that someone is far too nervous in this situation or everybody is far too nervous when this happens. Yes. Right. Like Dante is clearly afraid and nervous of of something about getting pulled over, whether he knows he's going to go to jail, whether he doesn't want to be put in cuffs because that scares him. Sure. Or he just knows from what's going on that his life is in danger. Indeed. I think about that. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Please. No, no, and, and what I'm saying is that um, he, being nervous, is going to do things that he may not even be in control of a want to do. Totally. I mean, just pulling, pulling, right. pulling away, pulling. Yep. It's not natural to give someone your hand and say, "Okay, arrest me." Right. So that not so pulling away and being like, "Okay, let me just get in my car and let me drive off," yeah. even though he knows that's not going to work. It's irrational, but that's how scared he is. He's so now, scared. Now we are now, even in that scenario, police have training. My uncle, my grandfather are cops. They have training to deal with that. That doesn't involve anything lethal. It doesn't even involve a taser yet. Yeah. Right? But we are able to take people like Dylan Roof, who murdered nine people in a church on the run, armed. Yeah. yeah. And we're able to somehow get them apprehended without them even being wounded. Totally. With some Burger King. Right. Yeah. Yeah. With with a three piece and a shake and they're fine. And and yet we can't we can't seem to get better interactions with blacks and whites that de-escalate. I've never seen. I would love to see that said, look at the situation. It was totally de-escalated. This white cop came and the situation ended peacefully. The brother that was stopped at the uh, gas station. In in his fatigue. Yes. Yeah. He de-escalated the situation and he was the one being sprayed and and, and just he was actually trying to calm this situation. And I thought. And they admitted to that. They admitted to that. If you see the tape after when they're just talking to him, he says, you know, maybe I was wrong. The cop says maybe I was wrong for pumping this thing up a little bit. But you but, you know, you still were not listening to me in the in the way I wanted you to. Yeah. Like, what is that supposed what to mean? That? If I'm listening to you, I'm listening to you. What do you mean the way I want that's to? The, that's the only thing I was it's like, that, that's, I was, that's, that's paternalism. <laughs> and, and and I think and I think there was a level of jealousy uh-huh. with the fact that this was a person in fatigues. I think mm-hmm. he was in some ways like even though he says he served, he says, who is this uppity person that's right. that that's that served? Oh, you're such a hero. Well, well, in this situation, maybe you're not. Yeah. And so there ju- I just used that, that. I just watched and listened how this, you know, here was someone in 
you know, he's seen a lot of these same things that Dante saw. So he, uh, the fear is there. He was real. I am afraid. The response was, you should be. Right. I, I mean, you know, where do you go with this? And, but he was literally trying to de-escalate de- that. I don't think most people have that kind of command of their mm. nervous systems. And, and, and that's a lot to, con- to um, manage in that, you know, you got guns drawn, yelling's going on, all of all the stuff, and you're trying to keep your cool. I think our bodies are into that fight, flight, fawn thing. It doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. People make bad decisions when they are not dealing with guns being pulled. <laughs> they make really bad decisions. So to have mm-hmm. an incident that's real, that's loud and threatening and you've seen image after image of people who look like you where this doesn't end well. I don't think it's a time that many will be rational. And I think we need to stop making it seem like any interaction with a cop is somehow punitive. Yes. I was was taught that cop pulls you over, you shut the hell up, you do exactly what they say. But I was taught in the body language of my father, my mother, was of such fear yes. that then when the the time that I got pulled over by a cop, I was so terrified. Sure. I locked my arms in the steering wheel and he told me to drop my arms because he thought I was going to pull off. And then I didn't know what to do because this is how I was trained. I was sure. trained to keep my arms, sure. keep my arms here, yeah. talk to the person nicely, don't make eye contact, say yes, sir, no, sir. And then, and then hopefully yeah. it goes well. Yeah. License and registration in there. If he says that, you say, yes, man, go get it. Sure. But once he told me to put my hands down, I was idle. I had no idea what, what to do with my hands. Sure, that makes and sense. I started scratching my face. I just, I, all the things I didn't want to ever have to do. Yeah. I even felt like putting the radio on. I almost put the radio on because yeah, 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 exactly. Why is it, a, what do you, what do you, what do you have in the back? So I'm like, yeah, yeah, because this is scary for me. And, and I, 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 I had always, you know, in the abstract, I'd always been like, Good police officers serve the community. So he works for me. But I didn't feel like he worked for me when he pulled me over. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I had done nothing wrong. I I had maybe rolled into a stop sign instead of coming to a full stop. Right. But I was in a rush. It was it was a funeral I was going to. Yeah. So he, you know, I luckily luckily for me, I told the, the 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 cop, I said, I'm going to a funeral, I'm late, I'm sorry. And he let me off, no ticket, whatever. He was a good guy. But that, but what if he wasn't a good guy? Yeah, I've certainly had pres- uh, situations with that were not, you know, life threatening. Did I get nervous? Yes, of course I did. I don't want to see blaring lights behind me ever. Uh, but I've also learned. But I'm also not twenty. When I was twenty, I know I responded differently. Like you, just total panic. Um, but I can't help but think of uh, this black man who was telling given this experience and he talked about being so afraid this time that he got pulled over and he said he tightened up so much he literally pulled a muscle in his ass he said he (laughs) was so scared and that one car came and then another car and another so now there are three cars and he doesn't know what he did, but he pulled the muscles in his lower back through his ass. But it was literally because he was so afraid. Mm. This is all before 
they approached the car. Mm-hmm. And then the going back and forth, just checking his papers and everything was fine. But he said he literally locked up. So what is happening that there's so much fear? Well, I mean, it's it's happened because, you know, parents were afraid and these and things d- did happen. You know, they didn't they don't make this stuff up. There, there is a possibility. There have been many, far too many examples when things did not end well. Um, and those are the ones that get reported. So there, it's right. not that it's not there. It's just not all of what is possible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was like, yeah, I, I had a hard time walking for it. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I ended up with muscle relaxants. And he's talking about it. But the, it's, it was just like, from all the things he had heard from his brothers, his his friends, parents, and right. here he was being pulled over and he couldn't understand why. And he said, you know, they checked his papers and just told him nothing. But there was no explanation for why he was pulled over. Right. But, and yeah. Well, what I what I'm doing in those situations is, is we're bringing in panels, we're sharing uh, brief stories, question and answer, and the stories are structured in a way that people get to look at how they might see that situation. Wow, how might I have responded to that? What what are the conclusions I may have drawn as they are hearing real stories? Uh, my daughter tells a story of of, of um, uh, black women in, in labor and, and pain and not giving, being told that their pain isn't the same. And so we talk about real instances just so that people of color are, are not seen as these superhuman folks. Mm. We're, we're, there are no, right. there's no cape. Right. I don't want to wear the cape. I'm too tired to put the cape on again today. Right. I just want to talk about my tears are, are the, the, the pain I feel isn't any less than yours. I shouldn't have to bear this and more. We need to level this playing field so that we're all seen here. I, and it's not, it's, 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 mm-hmm. I think George Floyd's murder turned on the a bright light for everybody. People who didn't know who, who, you know, who had just got woke. Um, they dealt with the right. the harshness of this. Wow, I need to learn something. I don't. I I didn't know there was plenty of that. There for people of color, it's like I've been saying this. I've been saying this, and now it was like right. a light on them as well. And it's like, oh, that that's a little bright, you know. I've been asked. I've gotten used to not being seen, and now there are folks trying to see me. What I want to do is, I realize this. Sadly, it took so much to get here. Let's do something with it. Yeah, I mean, I love the work that that you're doing too. And the work that we did today yeah, uh, for the past hour, I think was really great for our audience. You know, just to wrap up with some final thoughts, I just think that, you know, that, that whole notion that we don't all have to be John Henry <sighs> to you for us to be worth it and worth learning about. We don't have to be, there was a book when I was in fourth grade called The People Who Could Fly. And it was was about slaves who had some kind of supernatural power. And I never ended up reading that book. I always wanted to. Uh, All my white friends read it when I was in fourth grade. Um, 
And I'm kind of feeling like if I had, I would buy into this notion that we as black people, because we deal with a lot, some people think that we are superheroes, right? It's like that new army commercial that I, I absolutely despise, where literally they're recruiting for the army and they treat each soldier that they're propagating as a type of superhero, oh. like wavelength and, uh, you know, virus killer. Yeah. And, yeah. Like they have super, and I'm like, that's not respectful to what they yeah. actually do yeah. because these are people, this is not Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. These are people without abilities who do extraordinary things, yes. but they risk extraordinary things too. Yeah. And we, as black people are not a monolith. Mm-hmm. So there are going to be times when you meet a black person who says, I don't experience that. Yeah. Whatever they're experiencing, I don't experience it. Then there's going to be times you meet black people who say, I do experience that. But let me tell you why my opinion is a little different than other people who do. Yes. And and we all have to, I think, be prepared for that. So just to wrap up, do we have any final thoughts uh, for our audience? You know, final thoughts are, you know, there's there's this need. In in my opinion, folks say it's not our job to educate folks, and I I disagree. (laughs) I feel that it is yet another burden I need to bear. However, uh, I understand those who don't feel the same way. For the change I want coming, I don't think white people can teach white people that. So I think it is yet something else that needs to happen, and I'm grateful for this this. 400 years program, I'm, I, I look forward to more people taking it and, and corporations doing it. We've now taken a four-month program that meets eight times and made it into two and three days for, for groups and for schools and things like that. And I think this is, I think this is needed because I want to see, mm-hmm. I want to see change in a healthy way that doesn't beat people over the head, but just like, let's do something different with this time that is so potent. So Mm. I'm looking forward to it and grateful for programs like this, where I get to share this information and have conversations like this. So we get to be seen. So I am so pleased for this Tex and Justin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Tex. Again, it's www.theemotionalinstitute.com. Um, and that's where you can get into the four-month online program yes. to unlearn racism. And it's all steps. It's all steps and stages. But, you know, to, to get to that final destination, you got to lay that first brick down. That's right. That's right. All right, Trenders. So that is our show for this week. Again, we are posting twice uh, every two months. This week in, in April, we posted three times because we had a NFL draft special for some of our football fans, but usually it's going to be twice a month and we are found wherever podcasts are found. Now, if you had trouble finding us on iTunes, that is not a problem anymore. You can easily find us. And I want to say, thank you. I want to say, uh, reflect on what we're saying and text again. What's the saying? What do we say? when we say goodbye? You know, bro, I'm not sure. Peace and love trenders. <laughs> yes. Peace and love, Trenders. What do you, you mean? do it all the time. I know it's something that you do it all the time. I don't do it. I don't do it. You do it. Maybe we can edit it out. Anyway, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we will see you guys on the flip side. All right.